Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that we are citizens of another kingdom and that your rulership is perfect. Lord, we exalt you today. We lift up your name today. We speak hope into this room. We invite your presence into this room. Holy Spirit, fill us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take our offering here. That's not a good song to end on because I kind of get fired up whenever I sing that song. Thank you, worship team. This is good. We're going to take our offering, and I want us to take our offering this morning in that same spirit, declaring the rulership of Jesus, declaring that he is in control, declaring that he is the king over our life, over our future, over our own finances, over every part of us. And we have a prayer this morning from St. Patrick. So we're going to read this together, and then you can give. Let's read this. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. I want to invite you to give. There are multiple ways to give. You can text to give, and I think that information's on the screen. You can download the app to give, or you can mail a check to the P.O. Box. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Good to be here. Last week was incredible. I don't know how many of you were able to make it last Sunday night, but it was an incredible service. It was the night of hope, and, and we just had such a blessed time. I think I still, I think my voice was just getting better from last night until this morning, and now I'm losing my voice again from singing. But had such an incredible time. There were people who got saved, which was so incredible. People who got baptized, people who got healed. And it, it was so encouraging for, for me and my family. I mean, I'm, I think for you guys too. Um, there was actually a girl that we knew who gave her life to Jesus that night. And I, I was just so grateful seeing someone give their life to Jesus for the first time is one of the most incredible experiences to watch and see their excitement as they come to faith. And so it was good. I think Matt Roskin said we should do this every weekend. I don't know if uh, that's going to happen. I don't think we're doing it tonight, right? No, okay. But, uh, but I think there probably will be more to come, which is, which is good. Um, this morning, we're actually going to be uh, <clears throat> talking about missions, but before, before I do that, it's kind of a funny time because if you know me, you know that I, I really have a burden for America as well, and I was thinking this morning, it's, it's funny to, to be here today, you know, at this time, a momentous time in this nation's history, and, and not talk about it, and, um, and as, as I was thinking that, I just a couple things came to my mind. I was actually talking with Mike Smith and I was telling him that, and he, and he said, you know what, it's probably right, though. It's even better. 
Because there's one thing that is true if you read the Bible, and it was part of what I was praying in that prayer just now. Our mission is not stopping as the church. I don't care what happens a week and a half from today. That does not stop anything that we are called to do. And one thing that personally I've been sensing in the last few weeks, if we feel nervous about an election in America, and if we feel like we might wake up depressed or discouraged, I think that God is speaking something a little bit deeper to us because we have no reason to be depressed or discouraged based on an election in America. Amen? Because we are part of another kingdom. We are citizens of another kingdom. And so if you feel that today, I just want you to release that. That is not from God. That is not from the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we are not even going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what our mission is as the church in this life. Amen? Because this election does not change that. So as we get started, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 13. You can open your Bibles there. But before I do that, I want to take a second and go through the 14 different missionaries that Riverstone supports and partners with. Now, some of you probably have heard of one or two or multiple ones of them, but I want to take, I asked Tom when we got back to the States and and Brooke as well, Brooke Carita, I asked them if I could take one Sunday and actually just dedicate it towards missions work. And, And one thing that I love is when the church really becomes involved with their workers. And that, that is something that Riverstone does. Riverstone has been known to do that over the years. So Riverstone has 14 different missionaries, and we have probably half of that that have, we have pictures of. And so I'm going to go through all 14. I'm going to tell you their names, and I'm going to tell you a brief, very brief, hardly even a sentence about what they do. And today, out in the foyer, some of them who are in the States right now are here with us today, They're going to be outside, and it'll be a little bit of a COVID-19 meet and greet with social distance and all that, but we want to give you the opportunity to meet some of them. I think there's probably, I don't know, seven or so, eight or so who are here today, and and, but all of the 14, I believe we have their cards, their pictures, their info out in the foyer, so please, after the service, take time to do that. So I, I want to tell you the 14 of them that we have so that you know who they are and you can get more information if you want. First, we have pictures for the first seven. So let's go ahead and get those pictures. First, Jacob and Tatum Green. Boom. They're here this morning, I think, too. They serve with YWAM in Atlanta. Next, we have Erin Johnson. She serves with Street Kids in the Philippines. Next, we have Tom and Leanne Fraley. They lead a local church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Next, we have Mike and Aaron Thomas, and they'll be leaving soon with their family to join the Fraley's. Next, we have Lance and Heather Cantor, I believe. Yes, the Cantors, they're in Scotland as well, and they have an outreach in the highlands of Scotland. Next, we have Jeff and Kristen Price. They serve at the International House of Prayer Missions Base in Kansas City. Next, we have Harrison and Taylor, who serve in South Asia. 
Next week, they have a business there, actually. With the, they primarily, primarily work with locals. Next, we have Tammy. She also serves in South Asia. No picture. She's here this morning, though. She has 47-something kids that she is the mama to in South Asia. Next, we have the Eddies, Bill and Marie Eddie. They work with missionaries and their children in Spain. And then we have me and my family. My wife's actually, and our kids aren't here this morning, but you'll have the chance to meet us. We'll be around. And then we have four others that, um, because of their location and the sensitivity of uh, security, different, security things, we're not going to mention their name or their locations, but their info will be in the foyer. So that's 14 missionaries that Riverstone, this church, is a part of supporting, not just financially, but also with prayer. I know that on Thursday mornings, the intercession group prays for us. I have been so blessed, even just with the knowledge of that. I go into the prayer room and I see the map and I see all of our pictures and the pinpoints of our locations and different things. And it's such an encouragement to know that. And then there, are, there is another couple here with this morning, and I want to honor them. The Bartlett's, they're sitting here right here on the front row. The Bartlett's are finishing their time as missionaries. They've served for five and a half years in Ghana and for most recently a year in Cyprus. So let's just give them a round of applause. They're finishing that time right now. So these are the different missionaries that Riverstone is connected with, is a part of, and, and partners with in different ways. And this morning, we are going to be talking a little bit about missions, but probably in a different aspect than you've heard before. Um, and, and something that I really believe in and I really love is when you, as a person who might not be called to go as a missionary, when you are able to respond to God in the Great Commission. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 13, chapter, or verse, sorry, chapter 13, verse 44. And I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in this morning. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, mer a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Lord, this morning we welcome you. God, we want to see you as that treasure and as that pearl this morning. Lord, as we listen to your word, as we hear about your heart for the nations of the earth, God, I'm asking would you speak to each one of us this morning? God, we love you. We welcome your presence. We bow before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Missions is a very interesting subject. Uh, for me personally, it's funny because I've been in the Central Asia and the Middle East with my family for about eight years now. But I actually never wanted to be a missionary. And I was never the, the person who grew up and went to youth group and, or children's ministry even and always had that dream to go serve God overseas. That was never me. Um, never was even on that path most of my life. But then when I did get, start following the Lord, I just, I, I loved it. I loved, I thought it was very important. Obviously, Jesus tells us, but that just, I never felt like I was going to be the one to do that. And 
what's funny is there's this prayer, one of the few prayers that Jesus tells us to pray at the end of Matthew 9. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers, laborers to the harvest field. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray for him to send laborers. And I was involved in different prayer ministries, and that was a prayer that would come up frequently because, hey, Jesus said to pray it. Can't miss it if Jesus says to do it, right? So let's pray this prayer. As I started to pray it, I started to realize this is actually moving on on my heart. And I think that the Lord is inviting me to be the answer to this prayer. And that is how it happened. I didn't have it. God come down in an angelic way and speak, hey, go to this nation. That never happened. I never had any of those divine experiences or encounters. I just felt like God said, would you be the answer to this prayer? And at that point, I went ahead and said, yes, I want to respond to you. And my fam- we decided to go. I went as a single and later married, and then we had family overseas. And what I started to realize during that time, while Jesus has commanded us, go to every nation, that's the Great Commission, he is not asking simply for obedience. There's something much more beautiful. Yes, he is asking. He loves our obedience. He wants us to obey him. But what happens is when we get a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus, when we see just a little bit of who he is and of his worth, we want to give everything and respond to him. And that's what missions is about. Missions is not simply about doing work, work, work. We actually call ourselves sometimes M-workers, right? And it's, it's an ironic name because that's the thing I am trying to avoid because it's very easy to get in this mentality of I'm working, I'm working, 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 working. But God does not and is not calling us to be better workers. He doesn't want us to do more things for him. He doesn't need us to do more things for him. God, he's the creator of the universe. He has no need of us, but he has invited us to partner with him. He's invited us into relationship with him. And that's what missions is all about. In this parable, you see that these two people, these two men, the first one sees a treasure hidden in a field. And the next one sees a pearl of great price. They see just a little bit. They see that there's something there. They get a glimpse of something beautiful, of something that's worth everything. And after they get that glimpse, they make a decision. They make a decision to sell everything, to give up everything so that they can find that treasure that's hidden in a field. As we see him, it leads us to sacrifice. And as we sacrifice, we see him more clearly. And when I'm saying give up everything, there's a few things I'm talking about and a few things that I'm not talking about. I love the Western world. I love going to church on Sundays. I love having small group on Wednesdays or whenever your small group meets. But Jesus has not just called us to Sundays and to Wednesdays. He's not just called us to be open to bringing our Bible around in public. I think about that often, right? And it's actually a very good thing, right? You, you, you say to yourself, I want to get over the way that people think about me. I'm going to take my Bible and read it in a cafe. 
right? I mean, when I was in high school, I would do that too, and that's great. But Jesus didn't say, follow me on Sundays and Wednesdays. He didn't say, take up your Bible and follow me. Jesus invited us to take up the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. And I I love, that's probably the most frequent phrase I hear from Tom Tanner's mouth whenever he preaches on whatever topic. Take up your cross and follow me. That is the invitation of the gospel. And I wanna look at that. When it comes to missions, I think there, there are three ways that we can take up our cross and that we can follow him. And, and it's three ways that we can all engage with. And I wanna encourage us all to engage in, in, in our different ways. The first is to pray. All of you are called to pray. The, sec- the second is to send or to give. Most of you are called to send and to give. And the third one is to go. And some of you are called to go. And I'm gonna take a second and go through each one of those. To pray. What could that look like? What could it look like to pray for missionaries? Well, it could, it could look like a couple of things. First, maybe it could look like starting to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and pray for a missionary that you know who's serving somewhere overseas. Not, don't try to pray for every single one of them, but maybe take one or two, communicate with them, tell them that you wanna start praying for them, ask them what their prayer needs are and start to consistently pray for them. And I don't just mean sending the email to their response, their newsletter and responding and say, we're praying for you. I mean, actually taking this on as a burden. I want to pray for you. I want to commit to pray for you and take it in stride. You don't have to say, I'm going to commit to pray every day or every other day for the next five years. Maybe not, but be practical. Say this month or say this year, I want to pray for you. You could maybe start meeting with one or two other friends in this church, meeting with them and together, maybe on one night of the week or two nights of the week, you could pray for these missionaries. You could correspond with them back and forth and ask them what they need, what you could pray, how you could pray. Or you could simply just pray the prayer in Matthew 9 that Jesus told us to pray. It's a dangerous prayer, I'm warning you. He could ask you to be that answer, but you could pray that prayer. He asked us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers to his harvest field. So you can pray. The next thing you can do is you can send. And the best way to describe sending is to give to missionaries who are in need of that financial support. Now, missions in general, the scope of it is changing across the world right now. There are many missionaries that don't even live off financial support in some of the parts where we're located at the least. But there are many missionaries that still do. They actually live on financial donations from people like yourselves. And their monthly income is determined by the money that you choose or you feel God calling you to give them. And you know what you're doing when you're responding to that? You're saying, Lord, I cannot do this. I do, and you're, maybe I don't feel you calling me to do this. But you're saying to him that this is the most important thing that we can participate in. This is the commission that Jesus gave us. Not only is it the commission, I love Matthew 24, 14, says that Jesus is not even gonna come back to the earth until the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all flesh. That is what missions is participating in. Now, I, I love tithing. 
I think tithing is a very important thing, so don't get me wrong. But there is nowhere in the New Testament where Jesus tells you to give him 10%. There is nowhere where he says, give me 20%. He asks you to give him everything. Everything. And I, I, I remember years ago, 10 or 15, 15 years ago now, I used to hear this preacher talk about how since he was young, he always tried to commit to double tithing, giving 20%. You know, I even think about this sometimes. What if some of you who have the means, and I'm sure this is not all of you, but what if you made the decision to, instead of giving 10 or giving 20, what if you made the decision to reorient your life and to live off of 20 or 30%, to give 70%, to give 80%. I believe that God has people, I know people like that in the earth today. Because he's not calling us to just give 10%. He's calling us to give everything. Now, I believe, in, I believe in wisdom when it comes to finances. I don't want you to strike you as some ignorant young person, whatever. I used to be that person. Uh, so I do believe in wisdom when it comes to finances, but I want to give you two notes about that. Two thoughts. I'm trying to read my thoughts. These are my sermon notes. If you want to know how I plan for sermons, this is what it looks like. So anyway, I don't recommend it that way. But um, what if, the first thought is this, what if in, when it comes to wisdom and finances, what if when we plan for our retirement or when we plan for our future, what if we made that plan based more on not us, but based on others, based on simplicity? What if we made a plan for our future and we were wise with our finances now in regards to our future that didn't necessarily set us up for comfort, although it set us up to have what we need, but it set us up so that we can have simply what we need and live a simple life so that we can support many others. That's the first thought. The second thought is this. I'm just gonna share this and leave it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26, if he cares for the birds of the air, how much more is he gonna care for you? Don't worry about tomorrow's worries. Tomorrow will worry about itself. And Jesus himself says that. So the third way you can respond is you could go. And I believe that, as I said, all of you are called to pray. Some of you, most of you are called to send and to give. And some of you are called to go. I don't think that this is the majority of us. I don't think that all of us are called to go. While I would love that, I just don't think that's the case. I think that the churches, especially here in the West, have an incredible force in, in uh, supporting and in strengthening those who do go. And, but some of you who I think are here this morning are actually called to go, and some of you will make that decision to go. It's a decision that leads to an incredible amount of obscurity, uh, it's a decision where you're probably not going to be known for what you do. I love reading missionary biographies, but the reality is that's one in a hundred. That's one in a thousand. That's, that, is not, that does not happen. Missionary biographies are very inspiring, and they should inspire us to go. But most people who sign up to do this are never going to be known. In fact, you're probably going to be forgotten. 
You go through the sacrifices of missing your family. You go through the sacrifices of missing your friend. You go through the grueling sacrifices every day of being misunderstood, probably mistreated, not even able to communicate because you're learning a language. And that's what you experience every day. I remember after we first moved there, coming back to America, it was like, oh my goodness, I can, I can live on six hours of sleep because I'm not overstimulated every day trying to think and work and breathe in another country, culture, language. When I'm overseas, this was the first thing that shocked me. I, I am so tired even when I get eight hours of sleep. I'm still so exhausted because every single day, it's not a 40-hour week. There's no clocking in and clocking out. You're on all the time. And some of you, God's inviting to do that. Now, when I think about these three things, I think we have a glorified sense of the person who's called to go. But I want to break that. Because in reality, all of you, whether you're called to pray, send, or go, you're called in the same way. And I was thinking about the person who's called to go, and I'm thinking, yes, it's noble. And it is. And it's a sacrifice. And it is. But the truth is, if you're called to give, that's noble. That should be a sacrifice. And that's something that God will look down on and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not just the one who goes, Yes, he's going to look at that too. They were faithful. But the Lord is looking at the church today and he's asking the person who's not called to go, are you being faithful in that same way? And that's the question that you get to ask today. Maybe you're not called to go. Some of you I think are. And I want to talk to you actually if you are. You could come up and introduce yourself. But maybe you're not called to go. But the Lord is looking down and saying, this is still something I want you to partner with me in. This is still the burden on my heart. This is still the invitation. And I want to look at you. This is, I think, the Lord's heart. He wants to look at you in the same way and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I think even that invitation, you experience a level of obscurity in praying and in giving. You experience a level of misunderstanding. When you begin to live radically, when you have a lot of wealth or when you have just enough wealth and you begin to reorient your lifestyle towards missions, I promise you, heads will turn and look at you and think, what in the world is that person doing? And that's the invitation that I believe the Lord has given us. Now, I just wanna share this story in relation to all three of these because all three of these, they're very practical. They're very hands-on, tangible things. But... It's not just a call for obedience. And I remember thinking about this once when I was in uh, overseas. And there was one day when, when I was, I was uh, sitting with probably 10 Muslim background guys, not Christians. And they've known each other forever. They'd known each other probably since they were kids. And we were just sitting drinking tea. And as we were sitting there, we were just talking back and forth, joking. And I'm obviously sitting there looking, thinking, okay, when's the, how am I going to open up a door to share the gospel with these guys? How is that, where is that going to come in? And, and some people, you know, they take that moment and they just, they just like bulldoze right in there. But I'm just like sitting back. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then all of a sudden the door opens. 
And I'm thinking, okay, this is a moment. And so I, 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 I stand there and I start to share my testimony. And this was actually a unique moment, special moment for me too. I started to share my testimony. And what I realized as I began sharing, I started to realize how true this is and how real Christ has become for me. I didn't start just sharing words from a book. Hey, Jesus died for you. There's this man named Jesus. You might know about him, you might not. He died from you for you. You can believe in him today and get saved. Do you want that? No, I didn't start going that way. I started sharing about the way he changed my life. And as I started sharing, it actually moved my heart. I was getting ministered to by the Holy Spirit and they started noticing it. I'm starting to share and express how great it changed me. It affected me that I did not, I did not grow up as a Christian, but I chose to believe in him and it changed my life. And as I started to share that, it started to move upon their hearts as well. Because when you just share the words, when you just share a script, you're nothing more than a clanging gong or a broken cymbal. But when you open up your heart and describe the way that this man who is more beautiful, who is more worthy, who is the king of the nations, when you describe how he has come close to you and changed your life, people start to listen. Because it's something more, it's something real. Nobody wants dead religion, not a Muslim, not a Buddhist, not an atheist, nobody. Nobody wants another religion. There's plenty of religion, but they want something alive. They wanna see something alive in you. And that is what the world is asking of the church. I don't care what country you're in. That is what the world is begging for today. Something true, something real. I wanna read this short article and then we're gonna do some prayer and ministry but this is, a, this is something that a friend of mine wrote about this, passage, this parable in Matthew 44. This is a single girl in her late 20s who'd been on the field for multiple years, still is on the field, still single. There are many single women who are a force to the kingdom of God, who are laying down desires for marriage, who are laying down anything they can get in America, and they're choosing to go to the field. So many of them, you would be shocked. She wrote this, and I just want to read it. <clears throat> just stay with me. I'm just going to read it, and, uh, and then we'll go somewhere. It says, she says, In the Gospel of Matthew, we read the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Jesus had left the crowds and retired for the night. When he continued to teach his, when he continued to teach his disciples, what seemed like lofty language and stories that couldn't be understood was actually insight into sacrifice, obedience, and the rewards of following Christ. The disciples had not yet learned that their friend was that treasure and that pearl. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. She says this, often, are the days I walk around this big city and feel overwhelmed by loneliness. Even in the midst of crowds, 
Or I long to be understood and to understand the people that live around me. I often wish that my family was here with me, or at least in the same time zone so that I could talk to them more. Almost daily, I think of the people I've left in America and how special they are to me. These thoughts are all too common and unfortunately quite unhealthy. Once one of these thoughts creep in, it's a wave of more sadness and doubt that come rushing in. In a matter of seconds, I think of all the things I've given up to serve the Lord here. And then all of a sudden, I'm thinking that it's probably best that I go home. Luckily, the Lord is always patient and he's always kind. Right after I think about how it's best I go home and leave my comrades to finish the task, the Holy Spirit reminds me of why I came. There was once a day that I was that man who found the treasure in the field and found, that the per- and found that pearl of great price. I have seen the worth of Christ and have been convinced over and over that he is the only one worthy of such an investment. I searched and found something worth more than I could ever imagine. Because of this, I have been convinced that only a sacrifice of all that I have will be enough. Even more than that, there's joy to sell all that I have and to buy the field. I see the investment that as I, as I surrender all that I have now, there will be a day that I receive much more in return because of it. The more time passes, the more that I learn of Jesus as that treasure and that pearl. This means that I'm only becoming more convinced of his worth and that sacrifice becomes easier. Because as we see him, it leads us, it gives us a desire to then sacrifice. And you know what? As we sacrifice, we start to see him. And it begins a cycle that is never ending. We see him and we want to give more. And as we give more, we see him. And then we give more. And then we see him. And we continue to give ourselves to him. And that, I believe, is the invitation of the Great Commission. Not to go to all nations and see hundreds and thousands of people saved. Although that's incredible and I believe that's going to happen. But it's an invitation of partnership. Of gazing upon Jesus who is most glorious and worth everything that we can give him. This morning, we actually are gonna take some time and engage right here uh, in the place of prayer. Austin's gonna come up here and and play. Um, But we have three missionaries that Riverstone is heavily a part of supporting that are actually in a little bit of a visa challenge, partly because of COVID, but other stuff as well. The Thomases, you guys know the Thomases, they are waiting for a response, which they should have had weeks ago, about their visa application to go to Scotland. They're the newest of the bunch. They're awesome. We love these guys. But they have not gotten a response yet. Um, they, they have gotten it. They just told me earlier today, they got an email, and I think the embassy said, yes, we've received your application and made a decision. But they did not tell them what that decision is. So So we're going to pray for them. And then Tammy as well is also here with Arumi, her daughter, one of her 47 kids. And she is here and also has visa problems, mostly because the uh, government offices that would process her visa are closed because of COVID. And then as well as Harrison and Taylor, I don't think Taylor's here this morning. I know Harrison isn't Taylor. Are you here? Taylor is not here. But 
Harrison and Taylor are also having a similar problem with their visa because the government offices are closed. So here's what I want us to do. Mike is going to come up after this, and he's going to lead us in a time of personal response. But before that, I want us to go ahead and stand. Well, hold on. Sorry, don't stand yet. Thomas's stand. Tammy and Arumi stand. You can see them, see their beautiful faces. I want us to have a time of prayer and intercession for breakthrough in these guys' situation, for their visas, as well as for Harrison and Taylor. Um, They're not here, but let's remember them as well. And what I want us to do as we start praying, we're all going to engage We're all going to pray by opening our mouths, speaking out words, agreeing. But I want to invite three people. This is totally random off the script. I want to invite three people to pray on the mic. I'm going to be standing right here. And I want to invite you to pray. One's going to pray for Tammy and Arumi. One's going to pray for the Thomases. And one's going to pray for Harrison and Taylor. And I want to invite you to pray. And what you're going to do, you're leading this congregation in a prayer. And so as these three people pray, and you're going to have to be bold because I did not brief anyone on this. I did not tell anyone to come up if no one comes up. So hopefully three people come up. What you're going to do as they pray, I want the room to agree with their prayer because there's power in agreement. Even something as simple as, Lord, would you grant them a visa? Saying, yes, Lord, grant them a visa. Lord, would you break through in their situation? Yes, Lord, break through in their situation. So let's stand to, we're, we're, we're going to do a COVID-19 style, stand together and we're going to extend our hands. No laying on of hands. We're going to extend our hands towards these guys. I'm going to pray first and then I want three people to get behind me and I want you to pray as well, bold prayers. Again, I didn't brief anyone, so hopefully three people come. I'm going to start us off.